Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Shiva Mozafarian, and I'm the Programs Promotion and Outreach Manager at the National Psoriasis Foundation, and I'll be your guest host today. Joining me for a discussion about the inflammatory response and types of psoriasis is dermatologist and NPF Medical Board member, Dr. G. Michael Lewitt from Illinois Dermatology Institute in Chicago. Dr. Lewitt has a special interest in treating people with complex psoriatic disease, which includes different types of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. He also has an interest in the use of biologic therapies, leading and performing medical dermatology clinical trials with DeNova Research. Additionally, Dr. Lewitt is an assistant professor of medicine and dermatology with Chicago Medical School, Rosalind Franklin University. In 2020, Dr. Lewitt received the NPF Health Professional Volunteer of the Year Award in recognition of his commitment and exceptional contributions to key initiatives provided by the foundation, its goals, and mission. Welcome, Dr. Lewitt. It's an honor to have you on SoundBites today. Let's start with a discussion about the inflammatory response that initiates psoriasis. During episode 140 with Dr. James T. Elder, we spoke about some of the genetic pathways associated with the development of psoriasis, such as IL-17 and IL-23. Can you please talk about why and how psoriasis develops? Absolutely. That's a great question. I'm going to try to break it down as best as I can. So somebody that's affected by psoriasis often has some kind of genetic predisposition. There's something genetically that is already a one hit. And then sometimes something in the environment is that second hit. It kind of pushes somebody that's predisposed over the limits of the straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back. What happens is when that stimuli occur, There becomes incorrect signaling in the body. We've got these chemical messengers in our body that normally perform at a uh, normal level. They signal things, they cause direction, and sometimes they go awry and they start to misbehave. And signals in the body tell areas of the skin, hey, elbow on the right side, I want you to make skin eight times as much. And then you get that inflammation, that thickening, those leveling of keratinocytes or skin cells in those areas. Some of those have led to drug targets which is why we're we're very fortunate to have those, which we can treat that redness, thickness, and scaling in those areas. And a lot of times, which I think is really neat, we know that we're not putting guesswork into somebody's body. We have identified those incorrect signals and we're able to block them in a safe manner. So you alluded to triggers earlier. What are some of the triggers that initiate this type of inflammatory response? Sure. So again, there's genetic predisposition, but sometimes an external stressor, an infection like streptococcal infection or or strep throat, a surgery, some sort of a trauma or even an emotional trauma can set off that cascade of inflammation in the body, which can ultimately affect the skin, the joints, and likely other organ systems that have not been explored like mental health. So having that inflammatory environment in the body stimulated by that external stressor is often how this starts. Wouldn't treating psoriasis diminish the impact inflammation has on the body? Absolutely. The the National Psoriasis Foundation, I remember the first program I ever did with you all was called More Than Skin Deep. And I truly believe that my air quotes of more than skin deep are there for a reason. There's evidence, both anecdotal and scientific, that psoriasis affects the joint, skin, and other organ systems. 
perhaps it's just an association versus a direct result, but 40% of patients with psoriasis either will have or will get joint involvement. Some other associations or downstream effects of psoriasis because of that increased inflammation include, but aren't limited to depression, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and eventually cardiovascular sequelae like heart attacks and strokes. So there's no doubt in my mind, if you treat this condition systemically, you are reducing that. My patients tell me in the office, hey, doc, I don't just look better, I feel better. So I think it's very, very important to do so. Thank you, Dr. Lewitt. Our discussion of inflammation is a great lead into why we're here today, which is to discuss the five types of psoriasis. You previously mentioned that some of the signals in the body go awry, causing skin cells to build up on the surface of the skin. Is this the typical presentation of psoriasis? And if so, what type is the most common form of psoriasis we see? So the most common type of psoriasis is what we call plaque psoriasis. That's that characteristic red scaly patch with those thick silvery scales that occur on the elbows, the front of the knees, the back of the elbows, the scalp, the ears, those extensor surfaces. They can affect patients on their trunk as well, but patients with plaque psoriasis can also have other varieties of psoriasis like nail disease where you've got dystrophic, crumbled, cracked nails that just don't seem to heal. Those are often misdiagnoses. Fungal infections or onychomycosis, patients are put on oral antifungals, topical antifungals, and they don't get better despite 12 months of therapy. Patients can also have alongside plaque psoriasis or on their own, what we call inverse psoriasis. So red, itchy, scaly, sometimes cracked patch that occurs under the breasts, under the arms, in the groin, on the male and female genitalia. And those areas, what do I encourage patients to do? You know, push, nudge your healthcare provider a little bit and say, hey, what is this? Don't be afraid to to show sensitive areas if you have to or you're worried because there are some providers that unfortunately may not ask you on their own. There can also be other types of psoriasis called pustular, which almost mimics an infection or erythrodermic where you've got an entire body covered with psoriasis to the point you think of like a burn victim and those patients, that can be a medical emergency. So if you have that where you're covered head to toe in redness, painful skin, make sure you get to an emergency situation immediately. Is severity of disease a factor to consider as well? Very much so. We've seen a lot of affiliations or associations that the more body surface area somebody has, the more likely that the inflammatory environment in their body is higher. And the more likely those patients with high body surface areas can have other of those affiliated things that we don't like, like cardiovascular morbidities, joint involvement when patients have a higher body surface area. So it's important for those patients that they're identified and treated quickly so you could perhaps prevent those sequelae downstream, if you will. So you mentioned that plaque psoriasis can be present on the scalp. That seems like it would be a difficult place to treat. How do you usually treat scalp psoriasis? That's a great question. And there's really a large paradigm of treatment options, starting from topical medications like corticosteroids, vitamin D analogs, or steroid sparing agents, to laser and light therapy, to small molecule drugs like apremolast, which are pills that don't necessarily suppress the immune system, to immunomodulating biologic therapies. And I always ask, well, what is a biologic therapy? It's a living thing you put into another living thing to get an effect. The most common one is a blood transfusion, right? So we have targeted therapies that block those chemical messengers. So I don't treat scalp psoriasis any differently than psoriasis anywhere else in the body. But if I am using a topical, you have to think of a patient, especially female with long hair, you want to try to avoid really greasy things that patients can't get out of their scalp. 
But if it's severe or bothersome to that patient or suggestive of inflammation on the inside, I will treat aggressively and quickly. I want my patients to feel good about themselves and really never have their psoriatic disease affect how they can style their hair or wear a dark blue or black shirt. So I'm really a little bit, I'd say with the scalp psoriasis, more sensitive as to what type of topical I'm giving them if that's the route we go. But I will still use a systemic agent just as aggressively with scalp psoriasis as I would other places like the elbows, knees, or sensitive regions. So a type of psoriasis that usually affects young adults and children is guttate psoriasis. Can you please talk about prevalence, presentation, typical symptoms, and triggers of guttate psoriasis? Sure. So guttate psoriasis kind of forms those red teardrop-shaped little spots on the trunk and extremities. Often comes on, and the association we know is after a group A strep infection, which can be strep throat, perianal strep, or even a strep infection inside. If you've got a younger kid that's got kind of a beefy red, painful plaque around the perianal region, that can be signs, and you can use a culture to discern that. We can also use a simple blood test to see if a patient has been exposed to strep that may have nudged them toward getting that guttate presentation. It comes on kind of randomly and quickly and can affect younger patient populations like pediatric patients, not just adults. Some of the treatments we'll use, we can use what we call narrow band UVB or the light box. Make sure if you do that for yourself or for your child, that you check with your managed care and make sure that the co-pays and visits are not a burden on somebody financially, but they work very, very well. You can use topical agents. Guttate psoriasis can wax and wane, come and go, uh, or be episodic. If it, if it does tend to stick around for a little while, you can talk to your provider about doing more systemic therapies that we would for our plaque psoriasis, those biologics that we mentioned. And is it possible to have both guttate and plaque psoriasis, or can guttate psoriasis evolve into plaque psoriasis? Absolutely. As I mentioned, guttate psoriasis is kind of an unpredictable entity where Sometimes it's episodic, goes away. Sometimes it comes back as guttator, that teardrop psoriasis. And sometimes it progresses onward to plaque psoriasis, where a patient for a time has both little teardrop shapes, for example, on the trunk that just start to coalesce and form larger plaques. So not uncommon at all. And if it goes in that direction, it may be indicative that that person is going to have plaque psoriasis now and in the future. So you can be a little more aggressive with your therapy and use some of our traditional agents. So you previously mentioned inverse psoriasis, which we know affects about one quarter of people living with psoriasis and appears in skin folds. What are the characteristics and symptoms of inverse psoriasis? So inverse psoriasis occurs under arms, under breasts, in the groin, male and female genitalia, and then kind of that gluteal cleft or the bottom crack. Those areas can be red. They're often not as scaly as some of the ones that we would consider on the elbows and knees, but they can fissure or crack and become painful. They really affect patients' ability to be intimate with their partners. A lot of the times it's due to the unknown. Patients don't know what this is. Sometimes patients that have plaque psoriasis will also have that. It's a little more indicative, but sometimes patients with psoriasis will only present with that inverse. So there's a lot of treatment options, but you have to be very careful not overusing steroids. If you saw your primary care doctor and you had an eczema response two years ago, don't start trying putting all the steroids you got from urgent care two years ago in those areas. If you overuse it and they're occluded, which means skin on skin, you can thin your skin out. So the most important thing I encourage patients that have eruptions or rashes in those areas is ask your dermatologist, ask your healthcare provider what these are, because they may be indicative of other inflammation that can be treated in a safer and quicker manner. What can trigger or make symptoms of inverse psoriasis worse? You mentioned use of steroids. 
Yeah. So using systemic steroids like prednisone, if patients take that and then it rapidly rebounds, you can get a, an exacerbation of psoriasis in the inverse or any other area. There are some other medications, and I really encourage patients, never stop your medication without talking to your healthcare provider, but there are some medications in the mental health arena, even in antihypertensive, so blood pressure medicines that can trigger psoriasis, and even some medications that, that treat other systemic conditions like lupus or malaria. So never, again, stop anything without talking to your healthcare provider that's prescribed those drugs, but we do know about uh, certain medications that can trigger a flare of psoriasis inverse or elsewhere. Another type of psoriasis that can really affect quality of life is pustular psoriasis. Can you talk about some of the key characteristics of pustular psoriasis and where does it typically appear? Pustular psoriasis can occur after rapid withdrawal of a drug like prednisone or on its own. Two different types of pustular psoriasis. You can have generalized where it's everywhere. And just like we talked about earlier with erythrodermic psoriasis, it can be a medical emergency. It can be painful, can cause things like joint pain and fevers. Looks like little I like to use the word monomorphous. What does that mean? It means all of the pustules kind of look the same size and they're tender. Oftentimes that requires a biopsy from your healthcare provider to discern. Pustular psoriasis can also occur around the nail bed and around the palms and soles. Those are often misdiagnosed again as infection and patients are cultured and put on antibiotics that ultimately don't work because if you were to look under the microscope with your friendly neighborhood pathologist, they're what we call sterile. They're not growing bacteria, but they're very painful. So I like to treat very quickly because pustular psoriasis can spread and can be dangerous if it's generalized. You want to treat aggressively and usually systemically. In my experience, topical medicines really don't do much for that type of psoriasis. You have to hit it from the inside out to really get effective therapy. So if you notice things like I just described, make sure you seek emergency care and let your healthcare provider know. And the last type of psoriasis we'll address today is erythrodermic psoriasis, which you previously referred to. Dr. Lewitt, can you please talk about some of the symptoms and urgency associated with this form of psoriasis? Sure. So erythrodermic psoriasis can be a number of different things, and it's often on the healthcare provider to help discern which it is to treat the patient most effectively. So erythrodermic psoriasis, erythro means red, dermic means skin. It means the whole skin is covered with that redness or erythema. Other things you have to worry about, we can see eczema perform like that. We can even see seborrheic dermatitis or dandruff perform like that. So if you have a history of psoriasis and you present to an emergency room with this skin that's completely red and covered, you let your provider know about your history because that'll really help dictate quick and appropriate therapy. Again, just like the pustular psoriasis, erythrodermic often needs medications that are usually given either by mouth, intravenously, or subcutaneously. So the first one being obviously a pill and the next two being an infusion or a shot respectively. But make sure you tell your provider about that because it can be dangerous. You have to think of an erythrodermic patient like a burn patient. Your electrolytes can run awry. Your blood pressure can run awry, either low or high. And it can be very dangerous because what's happening on the outside is indicative of what's happening on the inside. And how often does erythrodermic psoriasis occur? It's pretty rare. I would say between 0.25 to maybe 2% of psoriasis patients. So if you had 100 psoriasis patients, maybe one to two patients will or have presented with an erythrodermic psoriasis. It's usually due to some kind of trigger medication. But again, don't ever stop a medication that, that a provider has given you without letting them know first or, or gaining appropriate direction. That's great advice. Given what we've discussed today, and you've mentioned some treatments already, what are typical treatments used for the different types of psoriasis? 
so I'm going to go back to my first answer, which was we've got these messengers in the body that are sending incorrect signals in an, in an overzealous fashion. So there's a whole paradigm of treatment, and it's all based upon, number one, body surface area, two, location of the psoriasis. Even if a patient only has, we'll say, 2% of their body affected, but it's right on their face or on a patient's sensitive areas, I'm a little more aggressive. So paradigm of treatment, we can start with topical therapies, steroids, vitamin D, mimicking medications that reduce the thickening of plaques, non-steroid medications. Sometimes they can burn a little bit, but they don't thin the skin out. Phototherapy, which can be a photo booth or a targeted area. If you've got one or two little areas that just won't go away or rebound whenever you stop a topical. There's what we call small molecules. One that comes to mind, uh, Premolast, a medication that does not suppress the immune system. Taken orally can work in the skin, joints, and nails. And then you've got your biologic therapies. And the biologic, again, a living thing that changes the outcome of another living thing, like a blood transfusion. For us, we target those drugs, those misbehaving or overzealous chemical messengers. And those drugs can include things like etanerceptor, Enbril, Remicator, Infliximab, Adalimumab or Humira, Sertulizumab or Simzia, Eustachinumab or Solari, Berdalumab or Salik, Secukinumab or Cosentix, Ixikizumab, also known as TALTS, Illumia, which is known as Tildrakizumab, Guselkumab, which is also known as Trifia, or Rizinkizumab, which we know is Skyrezi. Oh, I'm going to take a deep breath now. So those are some of the FDA-approved ones that you'll probably see on TV and commercials. And I encourage you, or you have a friend or family member, to speak to your healthcare provider about all of these wonderful options that we have that we maybe didn't have 10 years ago. That's such a great point. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lewitt, for taking time to join us today. This has been such an interesting discussion about the types of psoriasis. Do you have any final comments you'd like to share with our listeners today? I do. You are your own best advocate. So if psoriatic disease, whether it's joint, skin, nail, or all of the above affects you, do not be shy about prodding and poking your healthcare provider to get the care that you deserve. Again, you are your own best advocate, and we have a lot of wonderful tools, but you have to be able to allow us to use them and get that availability. So if you have any questions, you know, always use the National Psoriasis Foundation that can help you become aware, if you're not already, of providers that use these tools and get to that person or persons. But otherwise, I really appreciate the NPF for setting this up, and I'm very excited to be here today, and I hope everybody enjoyed the Q&A session. Great comments, and thank you, Dr. Lewitt, for your support. For our listeners, although we're closing August as Psoriasis Action Month, you can still continue to learn more about inflammation, types of psoriasis, and treatment options by contacting our Patient Navigation Center at 800-723-9166 or emailing education at psoriasis.org. Finally, thank you to the following sponsors who provided support on behalf of Psoriasis Action Month activities through unrestricted educational grants. Amgen, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Janssen, and Novartis. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Ghana, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.